Welcome to the Golden Coast Mead Podcast. I'm your host, Brando Tice, and today's conversation will be a continuation from last week with Frank Goldberg and Brandon Gould. We will be covering how one would use some mead theory concepts to develop a new mead recipe. We start with an initial mead recipe idea, then we go in depth on where to start the brew, the different theories will apply to make certain decisions, and the tests we'll do to determine some unknowns that we would want to figure out before bringing the product to public. Now let's get into it. Please enjoy our new recipe creation conversation. All right, so we have a meat in mind. The bees have a meat in mind. And we're going to go along this path with Frank to figure out how he would start testing honeys, yeast, and fermentation times. All right, so Brandon, what's the vision of the meat you want to make? Okay, so I want to make a dry hopped mead, which is not new by any means. It's been done here before, but uh, I want to make one that shows off, in particular, Nelson hops and Citra hops, which are kind of fruity, tropical. In particular, Nelson is like tropical pineapple, and then Citra is more citrusy lemon. Um, And so how would you select a honey that would accentuate or balance those and a yeast that would do the same? Great, yeah. So let's think about the honey flavor spectrum and kind of break it up into three main categories. You've got your caramely, malty, um, molassesy honeys, right? Your darker, more rich, um, sweetness forward honeys. And then you've got your more light, floral, fruity honeys is kind of category two. And then everything else, category number three. Mm-hmm. So you're thinking of this brew, you're thinking of people smelling it and tasting it, and the overall experience you want to deliver is what? Um, bright, tropical, um, and clean. Cool. So when you think about those three categories of honey, which one naturally feels like it's going to deliver that experience if it's fermented beautifully and yeah. clean? Pro- probably the second one, because um, it has that the floral fruity quality to it yeah. but i'm also interested in that third piece of the pie which is everything else would that be like clover honey things that are spicy or just have other complexities going on so clover typically falls in the floral okay. sweet uh fruity because it's it's agreeable mm-hmm. like this third category of everything else is more reserved for like the eucalyptus and mm-hmm. broccoli honeys of okay. the world uh-huh. which are like spicy vegetal medicinal intense like even animal is is one of the characteristics so i would agree with you that that impression of a floral fruity Mm -hmm. um potentially lightly spicy would be where you wanted to start with within that piece of the pie is are there specifically honeys that are fruity but not floral because when i think hops i think there are hops like sometimes cascade is is floral and Sometimes you want floral hops and tropical hops together. Sometimes you just want the fruity punch in the face without the perfumey kind of stuff. So is there like orange blossom honey? Is that more fruity and less floral or I'd kind say of it's, both? It's mostly floral with some mm-hmm. citrus fruit characteristics. Mm-hmm. And, and a great way to test this is to get different honeys that when you talk to a honey supplier, they should be able to kind of tell you roughly where its flavor profile is. Mm-hmm. And, and some, honestly, some beekeepers are like, 
Dude, I've never seen a hunting wheel in my life. Yeah. Like, I know that this is this, but I wouldn't know how to use those words to describe it. Like, come on over and taste it. You know, and that's mm -hmm. like gold is when you can actually meet at your beekeeper or your honey supplier's place and then taste their stuff and mm -hmm. be like, you're going to sell me that? And they're like, oh, yeah, I got a lot of that. You know, mm -hmm. um, that's been the best way for us to source honey in the past is when mm -hmm. our beekeepers are just stoked to have us over and taste their honeys and then sell us what they've got that, that we think can work for us. So you go over there and you taste it and they let you dip your finger right in there because they're beekeepers and they grew up doing that. Mm -hmm. um, typically your pinky uh, and you dip it in there and sweetness is of course going to be part of a flavor experience, but you're really going to want to pay attention to the aromas that you experience when you taste this honey. And if it comes down to it, like bringing um, some source of hot water that's drinkable and a glass and then pouring an ounce of hot water and putting a teaspoon or two teaspoons of honey into that hot water and dissolving it and then tasting that mm. is going to be a really great way to get a sense for what are the fundamental characteristics of this. And by hot water, I mean like warm water, like mm. 100 degrees. Is um, that just to help the honey mix with the water? And dissolve it yeah. thoroughly, yeah, without it being too hot and cooking off flavors or anything. Mm -hmm. So then you're drinking this warm water that has this honey dissolved in it, and you're really going to get a sense for, is it more floral or is it more fruity? And if so, what kind of fruit, what kind of floral? characteristics and is that going to be compatible with the characteristics of the hops that i want to bring out and that final experience that i want to deliver but by making that choice you've really you know cut off that other 66 percent of the honey reality and now you're going down this light floral path um which i think if then you want to layer on a citra hops and a nelson mm -hmm. Um, which has an intense tropical fruit characteristic to it, but a little bit of bite too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah something it depends too, because it's it, just in my experience using both of those hops, there have been years where they were incredible and years where they weren't so great. But, right. Yeah. So, like worst case scenario, they're going to be compatible. Right. Best case scenario, they might be like a flavor explosion mm -hmm. of joy. Mm -hmm. um, so how do you guide towards that, right? Like that optimal scenario while still landing somewhere acceptable if it's not optimal. Mm -hmm. So now this comes down to yeast selection, right? Like oh, the catalogs have thousands of options, right? And are you going to go like a white wine perspective that's going to create a body and a mouthfeel and a flavor profile from that base honey? Or are you going to go a, a Belgian ale approach, you know, which is going to make a difference? Uh, layer an ale yeast a champagne yeast there's a lot of ways to approach this part of the question so what kind of body and what kind of uh, alcohol characteristic do you want to make up your stool which you you know on the floral fruity side you've got like a citrus or floral fruity honey uh, and then you've got the hops laying in there with some intensity but on that floral tropical fruit side so then you got your alcohol leg and the acidity is kind of being represented by the hops, mm -hmm. right? Um, and then the fermentation will pr produce gluconic acid as a byproduct of fermentation that's naturally present in honey and it uh, drops the pH as the fermentation goes on. So there will be a backbone of some acidity 
regardless of what you choose, but some of the yeast will create more of that perceived acidity and some of it will create less mm-hmm. of that perceived acidity. But then you'll have the hops to throw the acids in there as mm-hmm. well. So essentially, when you're choosing yeast, you're trying to go through each leg of the stool and figure out what is my honey already solving mm-hmm. and what kind of yeast will pick up the pieces that my honey doesn't have. And how do they all integrate to okay. make something uh, mutually compatible? Okay. Right? Because if you come out of left field with like, I kind of threw the Belgian one out there because yeah. it's not really actually the best. I, I mean, right. spices can work in Belgium, but like you're going to get like some funky earthy notes yeah. that if you're trying to go light and floral and citrusy, probably won't integrate. But if you go a different direction, like maybe a champagne, that's like a gentle champagne, not like an mm-hmm. intense champagne. Then you've got this like backbone of like florally bright um, champagniness, mm-hmm. right? And then there's these layers of citrus on top and then the acidity from the hops. And it's like, when people drink that, hopefully it's like, mm-hmm. you know, like that would be one direction. But if that's not what you want to deliver, if you want something more refreshing and like smooth, then like probably an ale yeast is going to deliver that, you know, still be relatively neutral in terms of phenolics and other compounds that the yeast can spit out, but it's like going to be softer and kind of more full in terms of the, the sterile production and uh, body of the fermentation. Mm-hmm. Sounding yeah. make, like it makes yeah. sense. So yeah. what, what direction do you want to drive that, that bus? Um, well, for me, the, the ideal uh, reaction would be that someone would drink it and go like, oh, what kind of fruit is in this? And, mm-hmm. and not necessarily be able to pinpoint it. Like, yeah. oh, this tastes like pineapple, but more vaguely like, yeah, this, what, what kind of fruit is in here? This sort of like tropical. Fresh, and, bright, And then fruity. you go, there is no fruit in it. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, to, like, I, you know, different brewers have different ideas of how to make different beer styles and stuff. But, like, for me, with brewing IPAs, that's sort of like the, the thing you want is for it to be like, man, this tastes like it's like got fruit. I, I drank a beer from Deschutes that straight up tasted like apricot juice and it was like amazing. Um, and with beer, a lot of times, a, a really hoppy beer, you, the dry hopping gives you the aromas and the, the more delicate fruity stuff. But a lot of times an IPA is also really bitter because of the hops introduced in the boil itself. And so hazy IPA, which is kind of a you know relatively new thing that's somewhat polarizing, um, those tend to be very low bitterness, but really, really fruity. And part of the reason they're polarizing is because they're hazy. So they look, in my opinion, pretty bad. Unfinished. Um, yeah. So I, I would like to create a mead that looks like our meads, which is like super bright and clear, but also has that super fruitiness to it that someone drinking it might think that we used fruit but we didn't, it's just all the yeast, the honey and the hops making that fruity quality. Yeah. So I want just bright, clean, tropical, little bit of citrus fruitiness, but um, no bitterness, really, really clean tasting. Um, and so and, and the yeast question is, it could, we could either use a really clean yeast that is really light bodied or one that's a little more estery and maybe a little more full-bodied because sometimes uh, if there is a little residual sugar that helps the the fruity quality sort of express yeah yeah, yeah. great man uh, you passed that question <laughs> <laughs> that's like the a b test right like you've narrowed down all of reality into like two fundamental choices mm-hmm. do we want to go bright 
low ester or do we want to go you know higher ester rounder and which one's gonna deliver that experience better mm-hmm. So you just took thousands of options mm-hmm. <laughs> and like now you can go to suppliers and be like, this is what I'm looking for. Can you deliver? Yeah. And then you do a small batch A-B comparison and based off which way, you know, your results guide you, you then scale that up to mm-hmm. the next size that you're comfortable with. Okay. So let's take this. We got, we got a honey, we got, a, we got two yeast, right? Well, we haven't completely nailed it. Like, do you want to get to that level? Where we nail down the yeast because i'm down we could yeah, yeah i mean i i know beer yeast, yeast but not so not much the wider yeah we're over yeast, yeah. yeah so i think for your beer yeast right with that higher astro production what are you looking at uh like a london ale yeast london ale yeah cool yeah um a lot of meters use those and some people love them um okay so like a south ale 04 or 03 is that one I, I, I don't recall off the top of my head but yeah yeah but um usually when you have when they give you multiple london l options i'd be thinking the middle to low ester okay. rather than the really high, high ester. ester yeah and what's the abv tolerance on those i'm not sure off the top of my head um it might not be more than 10 percent yeah um but yeah i'm not sure okay and what was your final abv that year shooting for it. I would just say 12 or just our normal. Yeah. And what's interesting is because we don't have as much of the non-fermentable sugars, maltose dextrose in our must, mm-hmm. uh, attenuation is typically higher and alcohol mm-hmm. tolerance is typically higher. So an, an eight to 10 in beer will probably translate to a 12 okay. in mead. Yeah. So it's worth a shot. Um, so let's say a London ale yeast in the middle, um, ester production. Mm-hmm. And then sulfur production on London ale yeast is a little higher, right? Mm. So you just, you want to manage that by being ready to do some degassing and um, uh, keep your eye on your nutrients. Mm -hmm. Um, So, okay, so that's option A is London ale yeast. uh, And what kind of honey? Um, I think orange blossom is is a go-to. Lemon blossom, if we could find it. That would be awesome. Yeah. Yeah um that would be like well bam all right so option one is a lemon blossom honey with our london ale yeast the orange blossom is a lot easier to get a hold of than lemon blossom so if we're trying to create something to scale orange blossom no we're we're creating the perfect meter (laughs) 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 and so so then what's our second option because that option covers the mid ester clean yeast yeah well ester would be less clean. yeah so that would that would be the more estery and i would say also potentially more residual sugar option okay and then the other option would be super dry you know zero bricks or one yeah maybe one uh and very low ester production so it's just the honey and and the hops and the alcohol and the lighting it off yeah yeah Um, so classically, the option there would be like Cal Ale yeast or San Diego Super yeast. But yeah. um, I would want to explore other options that are also very clean and, and like, you know, like a, a champagne yeast or something that that it, it's the same concept, but maybe not just the, the same yeast that every IPA is using. So EC1118 is the go-to champagne yeast for a lot of people, but I've found and 
Ken Shrams talked about this too, about how EC1118 seems to have a higher instance of that mead bite mm. and that intensity. So um, my favorite champagne yeast is KV116. It seems to be softer, but uh, in that in that the fermentation kinetics and the alcohol don't create this like intense finish. It instead creates this soft and beautiful, but strong um, flavor profile. So I would recommend KB116 for the yeast choice there. Okay. What's, to, um, what's the yeast supplier? Uh, I want to say that that's uh, Lalamond. Okay. Yeah. But I'm not sure. Okay. Cool. And then would Push we do there. a different honey or would we try the same honey? I think I mean, if it's lemon blossom, I think that would work in either case. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's good to really narrow down your AB to one variable if you can. Uh-huh. So the variable uh-huh. being yeast. And you're going to ferment them at different temps. Um, right. Based on the. Yeah. Based off the preferences of the yeast. Like, yeah champagne yeast typically like it a bit colder um than an ale yeast does so we're doing an a b test we got our honey and our yeast figured out now you said you wanted to shoot for 12.5 percent alcohol which is a final gravity uh goal that we have and you said earlier well, final ABV. final ABV yeah. goal we have so you said earlier starting with a 24 um bricks will hit that if i was understanding you correctly yep now are are we just gonna assume we also need to layer in the final bricks that we're shooting for oh the final bricks we're shooting for true so let's talk about those goals and what we're doing are we going to do the exact same thing with each of them or are we going to do something a little different yeah for me i foresee that estuary yeast as having more residual sugar because the sugar and the esters kind of work together. Okay. Where the cleaner yeast, I think, would ideally be drier and okay. would, would maybe hit zero Play-Doh okay. or zero bricks, where the ester, the London yeast would maybe be one or two. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So our final, our final bricks readings are zero and then two. For the champagne version. For the yeah. champagne version and then two. Yeah, one to two. Yeah. One to two? Okay. For the London Ale okay. version. And so, the, and I don't have a lot of experience with champagne yeast, but champagne yeast has the attenuation that it can hit zero, and London Ale yeast generally doesn't get zero. to zero. Yeah. So we have that. We do the math to get our starting bricks. Now, you said earlier you like eight to 12 days. Wait, wait, let's walk through the math for the starting bricks because okay. the champagne yeast, if we're shooting for 12 and a half and zero, right? 12 and a half ABV and zero final bricks, mm-hmm. then we're only going to need to start at 23, right? Right, Because 23 times 0.55 should be 12 and a half. Okay. Verify that, but that's the, how you do that math. And then um, for the London Ale, we're shooting for 12 and a half, but also one to two bricks on top of it. Mm-hmm. So 23 plus one or two means 24 or 25 mm-hmm. starting bricks. And that's assuming that it is going to go up to 12 and a half percent, which is, is an unknown. You might end up with only eight to 10% alcohol. So that means like, 
Yeah. Yeah. Like <laughs> four to yeah. four to five percent residual um, sugar at the end. There are also um, like e- English barley wine yeasts that would could go that direction. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting, and I wonder. Um, I wonder if you just might want to reduce the risk and and split the difference, and so between twenty three and twenty five, call it twenty four. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it dies at eight percent, then that's roughly. Uh, two thirds of the twenty four getting consumed, so sixteen percent, right? And then that means that there's eight percent residual sugar. So that's a pretty sweet mean mm-hmm. at the end of the day, mm-hmm. but not entirely undrinkable. Uh, so what, what would that bricks number be? Twenty four. No, no. Sorry. What would, that, that, what would the, the final final grade? eight? Yeah, eight bricks. That's, that's that's sweet. Yeah. 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 yeah so you might. You know, you might just want to really make sure that your yeast is going to get through that whole fermentation. Yeah, and that's something to watch for in your test group. And and maybe ask, you know, go on the forums, look at London Ale yeast, see what people's experience with it has been, and attenuation, what their starting mm-hmm. mixture, starting gravity has been, and then what their final gravities have been, and if it actually does get over ten percent or not. So this might be a little in the weeds, but let's say you choose a yeast, you want to get down to two bricks maybe three or four is okay but you're at eight and fermentation has just stopped yeah and maybe you do some research and you realize like okay this yeast just can't attenuate that far or the alcohol tolerance isn't high enough and this is something i've never really done per se but Mm -hmm. like could you do a mixed fermentation and say well to get the rest of the way down i'm going to use that champagne yeast because i know it can do it and it's clean and it won't add a lot it's just gonna attenuate and that's all it's that's all i need it for yeah that was one of the best means we ever made was one (laughs) and we used kb116 so um we had to do the whole restarting a stuck fermentation protocol and you basically do a starter with like one third of your current fermentation that's stuck and then two thirds of a must and you get the yeast going and then you slowly bring in the stuck fermentation and hopefully the yeast just it's like over the course of three days you start with a third of the volume and then get the yeast started and then bring in the next third the next day and then by the third day transfer it all in there and then hopefully that yeast is up and running and plows through the remaining Mm -hmm. sugar um so yes totally possible and restarting a stuck fermentation from scott labs protocol will walk you through that mm-hmm. okay perfect yeah so we got that going now you say eight to 12 days is your optimal time for fermentation just to rip through and be done well rip through is also like it's more like two bricks a day for the first five days will get you down to like 10 bricks from your your remainder remainder and then hopefully you've got like one and a half for the next three to five days so that get you like through seven and a half um so you're 17.5 into 23 and that's uh 10 days right there so that's like uh kind of slow as you want it to go because then those last few days are going to go relatively slow i guess we want the first week to be two bricks a day so that gets us and sometimes two and a half. 
So that gets us like down to 14 to 18 bricks from 23. And then the remaining five days are like one bricks a day to finish her off. Okay. So if we think about this in terms of like, not everyone's going to have 23 with this end goal. Right. And like, yeah. Yeah. If we think of it in like, that's what it is for this specific one, but how do we come to like, or how did you come to two bricks for the first five days is a good guiding point guiding post. And then you kind of want one, one and a half for the next three to four days. Was that just a long time of experience and tasting or are there other variables that like, if you're starting with 26, it's okay for it to take a little bit longer in this time window or period. Yeah, that's a great question, man. So yeah, more, more sugar is typically going to take longer, but you still want a healthy fermentation that's moving through two bricks a day in the beginning. Okay. Um, if you're under two bricks a day, that thing is just going to drag on and the likelihood that it's going to get stressed and produce off, produce off flavors really increases. Okay. Um, so up front, mm-hmm. you want a faster drop in your bricks, generally speaking. Yes. Okay. Yes. And then you want that taper down to not be dramatic. You know, you don't want when it goes from two and down to like get to one in two days, because then it's like going to get to half in two days and then you're going to be just like trickling along at the end and that sucks. Gotcha. So you want to like bump up the heat a little bit, do some pump overs. Um, the last thing you want to do is is the repitch. But if the yeast is totally quit, then sometimes that's your only option. And then if it is your option, you want to do it sooner rather than later so that other microbes don't get in there and they go like, oh, this is my happy place, and then make super funky flavors. So does that answer your question? Yeah. I guess where I was going with it was just in general, the picture you want is after the lag phase where you reach – where all the yeast are multiplying yeah. and they're reaching that equilibrium, you start to want to see that two bricks drop, drop, and then you want to slow down, but you don't want to slow down too much. And you kind of just want a nice gradual curve to zero rather than like what you were saying, you go to one in two days and then 0.5. And so you want a slower deceleration of the yeast essentially. Yeah. You want it to like finish strong. Okay. Um, a long, slow end sucks. So, um, oops, sorry. I, I guess my question is like, when the yeast finishes its job, what is causing it to finish the job? Is it A, out of food? And so it's like, we're out of food, so it's time to go to sleep now? Or is there some other parameters, like you cold crash the tank and that's what causes the yeast to hide? So like, what, what are... Those are the two good ones. Like, you know, it runs out of food. Good. That's what we want. Or we want residual sugar. So we cold crash the tank. So that yeast is too cold. What are the bad conditions that can cause that? Well, there are, there are cases where there's still plenty of food and you don't cold crash it, but the yeast is like, I quit. I'm done. Uh, Alcohol tolerance is where it needs to be. Um, We don't work in this environment. So we, we quit. And sometimes that can happen without creating off flavors. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when the yeast were really healthy and they get all the way to the edge of their alcohol tolerance and then they just drop out. That can be intentional too sometimes. Right? Yeah. That's, that's how you design the meat is you want it to hit this ABV and then the yeast just stops working. Exactly. Yeah. Um, 
And there are some eateries that rely on that for their production process mm -hmm. and achieving the alcohol percent that they're after because they just start with a huge amount of sugar and then the yeast eats all the way through to the alcohol percentage and then there's still a huge amount of sugar left over. Yeah. Um, but we don't do that. We um, count on them basically fermenting everything that's in there for them and then us cold crashing when it gets to where you want. Mm -hmm. So for your situation where you've got like a, call it a fruity ale approach, you're probably going to end up cold crashing that to get it to stop yeah. where you want it unless it quits at the alcohol yeah. tolerance that I, yeah I, I guess my question is so in beer brewing there have been some sort of like mystery like why did this tank just stop fermenting at seven bricks when every other time we've used this yeast in the same recipe it'll get down to three bricks or play-doh is what we use usually but um and so like what are some of the reasons that the yeast just like quits working is it like or like maybe the the percentage of viable yeast is so low that fermentation pretty much stops like what can cause that especially in mead making yeah fresh yeast every time yes okay it's well not... potentially it, it could be repitched from another yeah so um the question is like whether what are the things that can go wrong that can make the yeast to stop working or start killing off yeast rapidly when it's not necessarily uh attenuate or not not a alcohol tolerance issue i mean i would look at the viability of the repitch. Mm -hmm. If it is a new pitch that resulted in that mystery, then like, what was the viability of the yeast that you got? Mm -hmm. And if it's a repitch, then what was the viability of the yeast that you repitched? Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. That I mean, I've heard yeah. of that happening. Yeah. And that's why viability measurement exists, right? Mm -hmm. Is there anything during fermentation that can happen that can cause like a rapid die off of the yeast? Is there anything the yeast itself could produce? That... If they're stressed because they don't have nutrient or there's a major yeah. temp change, uh -huh. um, then they can start to poison each other mm -hmm. basically to, mm -hmm. to create their own. So that they, that cell survives is killing off its, its oven. mates. Yeah. yeah. Oven. And then that's making the mead taste bad. Yeah. Yeah. So the last variable we haven't considered in this brew is pH. How would we measure the pH and make the decision towards, do we want to add something towards the end or do we just want to let it naturally end like Golden Coast does essentially? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well for, um, you know, there's a lot of different types of IPA. I know we're not making an IPA, but thinking of how hops are used in beer and some IPAs you want more acidic, some not so much. Uh, in this particular case, I kind of want it to be somewhere between our sweet and our dry in pH. So oh. for us, just sort of like a standard mead pH as far as Golden Coast is yeah. concerned. So, so I think our dry is at 3.6 and our sweet's at 3.4. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. So 3.5 ish. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, that's totally within range of a healthy fermentation especially with orange blossom honey. Um, and then you just see where it ends up. And then if you needed to do some adjustments, mm -hmm. you could. And you do it very small amounts at a time. So the way you would tackle that problem is like taste it, see if the acidity is where it's at, where you want it to be, and make minor adjustments by adding acidity if necessary to accomplish your end flavor essentially yeah um one thing we could do during the testing phase is after fermentation 
check the pH, which has probably already been checked multiple times. So we have our, our final pH, and then we introduce the hops, and then test the pH and see how what degree of change there. And just another wrench to throw in the works, something a lot of breweries have been doing recently is putting their dry hop addition, in air quotes, during fermentation so that the yeast itself is interacting with the hops. And I don't know all the science behind it. I know some brewers do, but there is some sort of like biotransformation going on where you're creating new ketones that wouldn't have been there if the hops weren't in during fermentation. The traditional method is that after fermentation is done, you remove the yeast and then introduce the hops. Does that increase fruitiness and citrus? Yeah. 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 Interesting. Yeah. So, because the yeast are metabolizing yeah. the compounds yeah. that the hops introduce mm -hmm. and creating novel compounds that otherwise don't exist. Right. Yeah. That sounds intense. Mm -hmm. Is that something you'd want to try in one of these two test batches or would you do it more the normal way? Maybe we do the AB test of the two different yeasts. That's our variable. We go, okay, this is good. And then that can be maybe another test. Another AB test. Yeah. Cause I've, done, I've, I've worked at breweries where that's what we did, but I wasn't the one making that decision and I didn't understand the science behind it, but brewers who do know the science behind it that I've worked for kind of swear by it and have won awards and stuff for yeah, their IPAs. So awesome. I think it's, yeah. that's, that's worth trying to. Yeah, yeah. That's great. That's awesome. All right. So just to recap, we got an we got two different types of types of brews going on here. We got one that we're going more fruity and semi-sweet, mm -hmm. off dry sweet, and then we got one that is completely dry. And our first test batch would be to indicate which yeast we wanted to go with. And then our second A B test would be whether we want to add the hops during fermentation or in the secondary. And all of that just means it would be a lot of taste testing and a group discussion on how, how to move forward with the new product, essentially. Yeah, the A or the B. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. So hopefully the listener might potentially be able to taste that in the future from Golden Coast Mead one day. Mm -hmm. And... Is there anything it's like else? Like a Bob Ross painting. It's like a Bob Ross painting. <laughs> all, of, all of the process and ideation and, will have been captured. And sometimes the happy accidents are, <laughs> make, make it better. Is there anything else you want to add to this first Mead Theory podcast that you feel like we forgot? Oh, man. There's going to be more. There's going to be more. There's going to be more, but I think we got a really great deep dive, and you guys asked a lot of great questions and summarized a lot of complex things in a really accessible way, and I'm excited for uh hearing comments from listeners and what they found helpful and what they'd like us to cover in the future and i'm also excited for making these brews with brandon and seeing how they turn out do we have a running name we want to call this hmm there's so many hot puns out there yeah um can we do a hot pun and a b pun hmm. all at once can we <laughs> i don't know <laughs> Is that allowed? You're the pun master. <laughs> I'm pretty good at puns. Um, not on request, though. Where's oh, okay. the fruit, honey? Hmm. Let me pollinate you. No. Uh... <laughs> hmm. All right. We'll think about it. We'll, yeah. we'll have a name by the next They usually podcast. just pop into my head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, hops are flowers. Is there is there honey made from hops? Not that I know. Yeah. We always call our hops means hop honey. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hop honey, citrus, citra. 
Not a skipped honey. Uh, skip the fruit, not the honey. <laughs> skip the fruit, not the honey. All right. Well, uh, thank you guys for your time. Brandon, it was a pleasure. Frank, it was a pleasure. Thank you, Brandon. Thank you. And you'll hear from us again. Thank you, guys. Cheers. And there you have it, how we think about brew theory to inform our new meat creations. And you can probably tell we mean business when it comes to our meat. Meat out. <laughs>